So as mentioned, we are continuing our Advent series, and it's Psalms for Advent. And this morning, uh, we read from Psalm 85. So you can turn to Psalm 85 in your pew Bibles. We'll read the whole psalm there. And as you're turning and as we're uh, preparing to read, let's come to God in prayer. God, we're humbled and amazed at how uh, your words from thousands of years ago could speak to your people then, but continue to speak to your people today. Bless the reading of this word from Psalm 85. Pour out your Holy Spirit upon us as you speak to us and as we listen to what God the Lord says and we respond. You're an awesome and great God and it's only in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Psalm 85. For the director of music of the sons of Korah, a song. You, Lord, showed favor to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people and covered all their sins. You set aside all your wrath and turned from your fierce anger. And that was the first stanza. If this were to be a song, that'd be the first stanza. And notice how everything was in the past. And now the next four verses are the second stanza of the song. And everything's in the present. Restore us again, God our Savior, and put away your displeasure toward us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger through all the generations? Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your unfailing love, Lord, and grant us your salvation. The third stanza, if this were a song, it is a song. I will listen to what what God the Lord says. He promises peace to his people, his faithful servants. But let them not turn to folly. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that his glory may dwell in our land. And the fourth stanza. Love and faithfulness meet together. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs forth from the earth and righteousness looks down from heaven. The Lord will indeed give what is good and our land will yield its harvest. Righteousness goes before him and prepares the way for his steps. I started off with reading the title for the director of music of the Sons of Korah, a psalm. This psalm is a song led by the Sons of Korah. And I'm just going to provide you a little bit of historical context about this family. In Numbers, Old Testament book number 16, it states that Korah was a priest from the tribe of Levi, who along with 250 other key leaders, led a rebellion against Moses and Aaron during the time of Israel's exodus out of Egypt. Numbers 16 verse 1 states that Korah and his group became insolent, disrespectful, rude, arrogant. They charged Moses and Aaron as going against the Lord's holy will and going above God. Well, the Lord then showed Korah and his rebellious patriots who was righteous and who was holy. That God was righteous, that God was holy. And God punished Korah and his rebel group and caused the earth to split open and swallow them and their possessions. And although Korah himself perished in this event, the family of Korah survived, Numbers 26, 11. Korah's family remained among the Levites and were, centuries later, appointed by David to oversee the music in the worship of the Lord, 1 Chronicles 6. They were the praise and worship team and leaders for David in the sanctuary. The sons of Korah were a musical family in Israel. And the sons of Korah actually sounds like a modern-day band. 
But the claim to fame for the sons of Korah was not their music or their rebellious family member, but how, by God's grace, they continued to honor the Lord and be responsible for worship in the courts of the Lord, Lord God. God, who is angry and is also loving, pulled this family away from deceit and wickedness and used them for his purposes to lead people into worship of God. The story of Korah is a tragic example of death in the Old Testament. But it is another amazing example of our gracious God and how God uses dysfunctional families as his agents, as his instruments of grace. How God allows for new beginnings for his people. Scottish preacher George Morrison, he quoted these words. The victorious Christian life is a series of new beginnings. We constantly fall into sin and we are constantly making new beginnings. And we do so by the grace of our God. Psalm 85 includes a story of God's amazing grace. It includes a story of new beginnings. As mentioned, this song can be divided into four stanzas. Uh, again, the first stanza is the first three verses referring to Israel's past. The second stanza is the next four verses, verses four to seven, talking about Israel's plea in the present. The third stanza consists of two verses, eight and nine. And we could look at it as re- referring to the future or basically what's next or what is expected by God's people as they listen to God. And through each of these three stanzas, and including the fourth stanza, the final four verses, God's character is sung about. So this time period of the writing of this psalm is thought to be when the people of Israel had returned from captivity after being 70 years in Babylon. Now you need to keep in mind that most of the people who returned only knew life in Babylon. A one-year-old taken captive was now 71, right? An eight-year-old was now 78. The Jewish people probably had prayers asking God to free them from captivity. And it was very well possible over time that these prayers may have ceased because time passed. And God now answers those early prayers some 70 years later. And perhaps many didn't even see, live to see their prayers answered. The first three verses of the psalm are praise to God and spoke or sung probably by a choir. And the verbs that are mentioned are all, again, past tense. And they're looking back at Israel's history and captivity. In addition, all the verbs mentioned refer to God. God showed favor. He restored. He forgave. He covered all their sins. He set aside His wrath and He turned away from His fierce anger. These three verses refer to Israel's past, but also to God's character while they were in captivity and through their disobedience. Several times in Scripture it is talked about over and over again about the love of our faithful God. But God is also an angry God because when people continue to disobey Him, there are consequences, there are punishments. And it shouldn't have been a surprise for Israel to enter into captivity because time and time again, God sent prophets to Israel to encourage and command them to repent. 
change from their evil ways, transform their hearts. The prophet Jeremiah went so far as to say that they, are, they will be taken captive and it will last for 70 years. No surprise. Collectively, they did not listen. And God is angry with sin and disobedience and He punished them. He kept His word. However, He also gave them a new start. A new beginning. He kept His word. And he set aside his wrath and he forgave them and he restored them back to their land. So now we get to stanza two of the song in verses four to seven, which brings us to what the present reality is in this time period of Israel. Now you would think that their past would have been a great learning experience for the Israelite people. And not only what they could do different, but also the awesome and mighty God they serve. So here they are, they're out of captivity, but here they've fallen short again. As verse 4 suggests, restore us again. Verse 6, revive us again. Now the choir is no longer singing these words in this song. Now it's a communal prayer of the people. And you can tell that because the word us is used six times in this plea. And rhetorical questions are being asked as well. Restore us again. God, our Savior, put away your displeasure toward us. And will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger through all generations? Will you revive us again? Show us your unfailing love. Grant us your salvation. God desires the nation of Israel to transform. But transformation will only happen in a nation if transformation happens within the individuals. The people are praying to God for restoration. And you know, people can come, people can go, but changing locations will not change people's hearts. Being out of captivity has simply changed context. Changing geography does not change hearts. People are to ask God to work on their hearts. Yes, free us, Lord. Bring us back, Lord. Revive us. Work on our hearts. The people have moved from captivity in Babylon and moved to Jerusalem. And they've fallen short again. And they're appealing to God to restore them. They are again in need of a new beginning from God. God desires them to be transformed people, to be a transformed nation. And God desires His church to be restored, to be transformed. And just like the nation of Israel, this only happens with individual transformation. And even today, people can move around geographically or people can move around among churches and too often people run from their problems and think that will make a difference. And with regret, we see people leave churches, sometimes for other churches, sometimes giving up on church altogether. But change in geography, change in context does not mean that a change in heart will occur. Just like Israel, we need to pray to God to restore us to transform our hearts. Transformation will only happen in a church if transformation begins with the individuals. Because the church is the people. And what a patient and gracious God we must have. 
Once again, his people have turned away and disobeyed God. And the people of Israel once again need a new beginning. We all do. As verse 7 states, we have a God who shows us his unfailing love and grants us his salvation. Thankfully, God is patient and our God is gracious when we all fall short. Now, we don't get into trouble in order that God will continue extending his grace to us. We don't mess things up because then God will give us a new beginning anyways and he'll give us a redo every time. Apostle Paul asks the question in Romans 6.1, Shall we then go on sinning so that grace may increase? And then he answers his own question, By no means. God is gracious, but there's still consequences to our behavior. And he calls us to be obedient to him. So we get to stanza three of this psalm that begins at verse eight. I will listen to what God the Lord says. We had the past, the present. Well, we can look at this as the future. And I want to be careful because by saying this is the future, I don't want to make it sound like it's a ways away because it is actually now. But it is a journey that we start now. And we move forward to God's preferred future. Not ours. What is God's desire? What is God's will? And this journey is one of discipleship. This journey is one of, dis- uh, of obedience, rather. I will listen to what God, the Lord, says. Kind of reminds me of that song. You know, if you go into stores at this time of year, all the Christmas songs are playing or on the radio, and that song that I have in my mind is, Do you hear what I hear? Said the little lamb to the shepherd boy, Do you hear what I hear? Are you hearing the promises of God? Are you hearing God in your life? What are you listening to? And sometimes life circumstances are louder than God's voice and His promises. Sometimes the brokenness in this world keeps us distracted enough to drown out the voice of the Lord. And I'm not necessarily speaking of an audible, audible voice, but even what God's word is speaking to each of us. And the psalmist reminds us of who God is, reminds us of all of God's promises. And yes, again, we, we all have circumstances in life, and some are greater than others. They really are. But we all need to listen to God and hold on tight to His promises. We're reminded of the passage in 1 Kings 19 where discouraged Elijah had such difficult and challenging circumstances in life. And then he was sent to listen to God on a mountaintop. And in verse 11 of 1 Kings 19, we read, Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. Just imagine that, right? But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was this earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. And verse 13 of that chapter says, Then a voice came to him. And sometimes we need to listen to God through the smallest of whispers. And these are the easiest things. The whispers are the easiest to be drowned out. 
God is there. Are you listening? Or are you running? Are you hiding? Are you ignoring? As we listen, we hear the attributes of God coming out of this psalm. And that's stanza four, which talks about God's character and his attributes. And listen to some of the words of the psalmist that speak of our God. God promises peace, salvation, glory, love, faithfulness, righteousness, goodness. What are you listening to? What are you hearing? May God's grace resonate in your ears. Now God is not giving the Israelite folks specific direction to go here or to do that. I mean, yes, he did send them back from Babylon to Jerusalem after seven years. But more so, he's giving them specific truth and a message of peace and righteousness. God is giving them and he's giving us his promises. He's giving the promise of peace, the promise of shalom. Today, we we lit the candle of peace, the Advent candle of peace. But this peace is not about peace among nations. Although we look forward to that, the peace is not referring to tranquility, although that would be nice. Peace is not being friendly and amicable among people, and that's important as well. Peace doesn't mean an easy life. The peace that is referred to is the peace between God and humanity. God is a loving God, but He is also an angry God. And sin and disobedience makes God angry. And Israel's disobedience led to God's anger. But the psalmist is referring to peace among God and his people. And this relationship was damaged at the fall of humanity. And it can only be reconciled only through Jesus Christ. God's anger, his wrath, has been satisfied in Christ. Luke 2 speaks of this peace. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, he gives a story of Jesus' birth. And the angels singing glory to God on the highest heaven. And on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. Romans 5 speaks of peace. Romans 5 verse 1. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. God gives the people restoration. He gives them righteousness. He gives them peace. He gives the people a new beginning. He restored them to the land. But he also, and more importantly, restored them to himself. Due to the severity of all our sins, there's no way to have reconciliation between God and us on our own. And so here we have righteousness and peace. They're personified. Righteousness and peace, as the psalmist says, they kiss each other. They come together. Promises fulfilled. And there's a foreshadowing going on here of Jesus. And this passage refers to God covering all the sins of his people. All our sins are being covered. We're being made right with God. That's righteousness. God has made us right through his son, Jesus Christ. And God's anger, his wrath is being satisfied. That is peace. The righteousness and peace, again, they kiss each other. The righteousness and peace of God, it doesn't depend on human efforts, on human goodness. Not whether we're naughty or nice. But peace of God depends on God and His goodness. It depends on God's character, not ours. 
God's grace is there. And we have to listen. We are in trouble. And it's difficult to sometimes see a way out. But our hope is in Christ alone. Our hope is in in who God is. And what He has done for us through His Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. I will listen to what God the Lord says. And He gives us a new beginning through His Son, Jesus Christ. He gives us peace. He gives us righteousness. He is a faithful, loving God. Advent occurs every year and so does Christmas. And Advent gives us an opportunity to anticipate the celebration of the birth of Jesus and to anticipate the second coming of Jesus. But we don't just wait. We also have the opportunity to have a new beginning. And we can look at our past year, our past week, our past day, this past hour, and we can see that we have fallen short. And this is not to shame us, but it is to remind us that on account of God's grace, we have been made right with God. And we have peace with God. God has forgiven us. And we have the opportunity for a new beginning through God's grace, through His Son, Jesus Christ. God wants us to be transformed more and more into His likeness. And only through God's grace, through the power of the Holy Spirit of Jesus, can this be done. Listen to God. Accept His grace. Accept His grace through faith in Christ. Thanks be to God. And together we say, Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your faithfulness and for giving peace to your people through Jesus Christ and making us right before you. Lord, in a world that's so busy and noisy and full of distractions, help us to listen to you. And through your spirit, open our ears and our hearts to all that you are speaking to us. May we be obedient to your calling on our lives. But may we also hear your words of grace and mercy spoken through the cross and through your son, Jesus Christ. And maybe there are people here this morning who have not heard your word of grace. Transform hearts to accept your love and grace and peace through Christ. Transform each of our hearts. Work in each of us to listen to God our Lord. We praise you, we bless you. And it is only in Jesus' name that we pray this. Amen.